Welcome to Public Ice, the only podcast that provides weekly youth sports-related content focusing on hockey and figure skating with the information you need to level the playing field. Here's your hosts, Chris Resendiz and Dave Kleinberg. Hi, Public Ice listeners. Do you need expert skate advice? Is your profile correct? Do you have the correct blade? Do you have the appropriate boot? Are you in the correct hollow? Is there rust on your blade? I want to talk to you today about Home Ice Boston. Home Ice Boston is owned and operated by Ace Lynn Monk, a former professional figure skater and current Theater on Ice international silver medalist. Home Ice Boston is committed to your success on the ice and provides superior customer service and support. All you have to do is go to homeiceboston.com or email Aislinn, A-I-S-L-I-N-N, at homeiceboston.com and mention Public Ice sent you. Hello, Chris. How are you doing today? Wonderful, wonderful, Dave. Looking forward to tonight's show. Well, we know that rinks are opening up. I think just a few states left, which is great news. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of rinks open up. I mean, there's still restrictions. Um, some restrictions are going to get a lo- little looser than others. So I know New Hampshire is open now. Massachusetts is open. Rhode Island, most of the New England states. Yep. And on, of course, on the uh, publicice.com uh, site on the front page, you'll see the latest map of uh, rink openings and closings. Uh, and we're going to start putting out together uh, special pages for each each state. So uh, stay tuned, and um, and you'll see some great information. Yeah, definitely, Dave. And that's that's one of the things we should probably mention right now is that um, with based on each state, um, we're going to actually be doing a poll for uh, best rink food. So get your votes in early. Get your votes in. It'll end at the end of July. Um, but vote for your best rink. We'll be sending out some awards to different rinks and so forth. Um, and give them some special prizes. I understand that there's going to be a special public ice uh, participant award too, a gift certificate uh, to uh, a lucky uh, a lucky winner um, for submitting in the poll. Can you tell us a little bit about about that? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, we're going. So if you submit your if you submit your entry, um, you'll be put into a drawing for a hundred dollar gift card for either a figure skating store or uh, a hockey store. You just have to let us know. Yeah, actually, that's great. So if they want to go to, um, you know, their local, um, you know, small, small shop, they can. And if they want to go to one of the um, big brand shops that uh, has online, we can handle that as well. Exactly. That, that way we're, we're following some business back into these ranks. So if you want to go to the pro shop at your favorite place that has the best food, then definitely go ahead and we'll send you, we'll get you a gift card for that place. So, so go ahead, enter and make sure you're voting. And uh, I assume folks can uh, enter only once for the drawing? Yes, yes, only one entry per, uh, per participant. Did you ever see that, uh, that movie, Real Genius, back in the yes. day? Yes. Where I the did. guy in the basement, <laughs> the guy in the basement filled out like uh, two million entries for uh, Publishers Clearing House. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and he, he statistically figured out a way to, to win the trailer and and uh, every single prize, <laughs> you know, if I was a twelve, if I was a twelve-year-old kid right now, I'd probably find a, a some sort of prize to win. I'd uh, be exactly. out there. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, we 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 try to to find any way to to, to uh, gain to game the system, game the system completely. And you were looking at like, I mean, come on, let's let's be frank. The little magazines that were geared towards you, like highlights for children and things like that, always had ads in the back for um, winning something or some cool prizes or, or products. Like I remember I actually saved up all my money for a, um, uh, an electronic drum set when I was a kid and it worked for about 15 me, minutes and then it was broken. <laughs> not, not the x-ray specs. Oh, I, I got the x-ray specs, but I was so disappointed in those. <laughs> so, I think I yeah. probably uh, sent away for every one of those prizes, uh, with the uh, you know with the, in the back of the comic books, we we should take a look at some of those. Uh, I wonder if comic books still do that these days. I doubt it. Uh, they do. No, they they still definitely do. They still have some of those ads, ads and at least the ones I've gotten for for my son has. Hey, one thing I want to mention too is uh, good luck to everyone this weekend to the Eastern Selects Camp uh, that's going on right now. The Eastern Exposure Hockey Camp at a group out of uh, New Hampshire. Um, I know they're running some high level clinics this weekend, and uh, a lot of good kids are at it. So just good luck to all those guys out there. 
Do you, can you tell us a little bit about the Eastern uh, Selects? Well, it's East, Eastern Exposure Hockey Group, and um, what they what they're putting together is like some of the top kids in North America, and uh, they're just doing some skills. Now, I know initially they had some scrimmaging going on and a, a few other things in regards to um, some skills based trainings, as well as um, some high level coaching and things along those lines. And there's a lot of uh, NHL assistant coaches and so forth that are out here to right now today. So, and they're working with the kids individually. I know, I think it's this this weekend, it's the 2008 and 2009 years. Um, and I think next weekend they've got the 2007 and 2006. So, um, and I, I'm not sure exactly from the, the lower levels yet, but I'll find out. Excellent. Do they do that all across the U.S. or? No, this is specifically, um, this is specifically for kids. There's national kids that are here. Like there's a lot of different kids from New York, New Jersey. Uh, there's a few kids from Texas, um, some kids from California, uh, obviously, the ones it's a little different this year because of the COVID nineteen. So I think there's a little, little bit more New England heavy. But I think part of that is because uh, just the travel restrictions and so forth. Um, but yeah, no, it's usually a national event. Usually, we have a lot of Canadian kids coming down as well. You know, right now I haven't heard much about some uh, figure skating uh, clinics or camps yet. But I know that uh, I've seen a couple camps that are opening up at least in August. Uh, so I know that uh, Norfolk Frost uh, Skating School, they're doing a camp in August, uh, we've heard. Um, and I assume a whole bunch of other camps are going to start uh, opening up. So we'll, we'll stay tuned. And, you know, I'm going to take a look for us for, for next week to see uh, the different camps that are available um, for this summer. And so today I know we have a, a great show. Um, we did a wonderful interview with former uh, pro hockey player and, elite coach for uh, a number of youth teams, uh, Ralph Marzioli. Looking forward to it. He told us a lot of, uh, shared a lot of great experiences with us from uh, Europe. Played in a number of different places. So great stories, great uh, stories about his uh, tryouts and, and all that. Yep, definitely, definitely. And, that, and he even shared some uh, insight into his coaching abilities. So, um, so, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. So let's go ahead and get into it. All right, so we're here today with Ralph Marziali. Uh Hockey coach, hockey former professional hockey player, um, and uh, just uh, all around good guy. Ralph, welcome to the cast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ralph. So I understand uh, you're right now. You're uh, coaching youth hockey. What ages are you coaching? I am currently coaching the 2008 elite team for the Providence Hockey Club, and I'm coaching the 2012 Tier One Black team for the Providence Hockey Club. So the, the 2012s are going to be second-year mites, and the 2008s are going to be second-year peewees. So I got both my kids on those teams. Nice. Now, so with those two age groups, what, which, which one do you like better? Two different age groups, uh, two different kind of fun. Um, I'm looking forward to the, to the 2008s this year because they're getting to that age where they're almost teenagers. Uh, you could talk a little differently to them. Um, you know, you can be more of a hockey guy where with the little guys, you, you know, you, you got to have some little bit of restraint and you got to talk to them more like they're in school. You know, it's more trying to get them to pay attention. But we had a good season last year, first year mites and kept it fun. We taught them a lot, but we kept it fun. It was, you know, they looked, they, but we were serious. So put it this way, my 10, my 12s and my 8s, they, uh, they both, both teams were ready 10 minutes before practice, taking one knee in the locker room, waiting for coach to come in with the dry board to go over the practice plan because they knew we only had a certain amount of time on the ice. So even at six, seven years old, they were disciplined enough to be ready because they knew we got to get stuff done, but they looked forward to it, you know? So I think both ages are great. Um, you know, you might be able to drop a couple bombs here and there at the older ages, you know, and not have to worry about, it's so much with the little kids, you know, you guys know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I think our, I think our audience knows exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And every, and listen, everybody does it, you know, you know, you got to try to control yourself. Um, but as they get older, you start to see more and more. I mean, you know, you don't want to say bad words, but you know, if you drop the bomb here and there, it's not as bad as you did. You know, you, you look around and you see all seven year olds staring at you. Like, what does that mean? You know? So where the, where the, where the 12 year olds is, they'll just start laughing and they'll probably, maybe they'll respect you a little bit more and play harder for you. You know what I mean? So who, who would be more rambunctious, the, uh, the 12 year olds or the, uh, seven eights? Um, 
don't know. Hmm. As I tell you, when uh, I think the the older teams, uh, when I see them at the rink, they're a little bit more wild, you know, not uh, running around, doing a little bit more. The the younger kids kind of respect the rules of the rink, I think, a little bit more. Well, it all depends. Like we had we had instances this year where parents were giving the kids a lot of candy in between games, and I had to put an end to that because the kids are running all around the rink, climbing the walls, you know. So it's like you're trying to calm these kids down, and then the first period. They give it their all, and then they fall asleep after that, where I think it's different. I think it's a different kind of uh, amped up. You know, like they think that the 08s, I think they know how to amp themselves up because they're really pumped to play this game, where with the mites, I think they're just, they're just happy they're in the rink and going on the ice. I, you know, I think the, the 08s, they, they're ready for battle. Like they know they're going to go out there and it's going to get physical and they're going to battle. You know, it's a different kind of amped up. Yeah, I remember when I was at a um... – uh, the Bruins, uh, Boston Bruins, they did a uh, coaching seminar um, a number of years ago. Uh, and I went over there and I think it was Don Del Negro. He's the, uh, the trainer and he was out there and, and he was looking at, at, at us and saying, you know, you guys, you know, you're getting your kids these blue slushies. What do you, how do you think they're going to perform? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, nothing but what, you know, like, you know, maybe a sip of Gatorade, but that's it. Well, there's, but there's parents that do that. Like they'll, and it's, you know, I'm not getting mad. I'm not, I'm not making fun of them or anything. Like they just don't understand. Like they'll feed them candy before a game or something just to get them, you know, amped up. But that hurts them because, you know, 10 minutes into the game that, that, that rush is gone. And now they're even more tired, you know, instead of giving them like an orange or, or some healthy fruit or, you know, a granola bar or something, you know, but everybody's different, I guess, you know. Yeah, I always wondered about that. I, I see a lot of parents do that. Like, they'll give the kids Skittles before the game when they're in mites. And I'm like, it, it always just – well, from a nutritional standpoint, um, especially being a wrestler, uh, nutrition was so important, especially for longevity. And um, I'm like, I'd rather give Blake a, a chicken breast beforehand um, than anything else. So Yeah, yeah they, don't, they don't get – a lot of them don't get it. They figure you – know, I see parents giving kids airheads. You know, the snack bar sells the airheads. So it's like a tradition before the game – you got a kid sitting in a locker room. He's all dressed, ready to go. His helmet's not on, and he's sitting there chewing on an airhead. And you look at him, you're like, "This kid's going to be done after ten minutes," you know. And he and he pretty much is, you know. Yeah. Now speaking of that, uh, like, now you played professionally. So what's what like how what, what kind of diet did you did you maintain while you were playing over in Europe and such? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, times have changed. You know, back then. Like when I was playing, I was playing in the, like I turned pro back in 95 in the minors and, you know, we, plyometrics just came into play. Like Mike Macchione in Northeast sports, he had just opened up, you know, he had a few guys there. I remember going to train there, you know, back then you, it was, there was more emphasis on you doing it yourself. It wasn't like you had, you had something to follow. You just ate healthy. And with me, I mean, my mom and dad were born in Italy. So, like, I grew up in a house with pizza, pasta, like, all kinds of crazy food, you know. And I had to work to stay in shape because everything was carbohydrates, you know. Like, and you learn as you start playing, you know, in the minors, you start seeing other guys from Canada and, like, Finland, Sweden, Russia, wherever, the, your teammates. And you see these guys, they're all ripped. And they're doing – they're not doing anything to be ripped. And you're over here working your ass off, excuse me, to, to try to stay in shape. You know, it's, it's like, I don't know, it was different. It's a different time. I had guys that used to eat McDonald's before the game, the big six foot five Canadian guys. They'd eat McDonald's before the game and play fantastic. And, you know, you're trying to eat like a piece of chicken and some pasta and be healthy just to, just to get by, you know? All right. Well, so what I hear, though, rumor is that uh, Alex Ovechkin eats the same meal every day. It's like a giant chicken parm, some vodka sauce, and a Coke. That's great. <laughs> Wish I had that right now. That sounds pretty good. Um, it does. That's, yeah. I mean, like we used to do team. I mean, Italy, Italy and Europe was totally different because they, they take pride on eating over there. So like, you're not just eating one meal, you're eating like courses, even like during the day. So we would go, we'd wake up in the morning, we would eat. The breakfast wasn't really a big deal. It was on your own. So like I go to the coffee shop next to the rink and I'd have like a brioche. A brioche is like, I don't know if you know what a brioche is. It's like a, piece of pastry with some chocolate in it and I'd have a cappuccino and that would wake me up and that was my breakfast 
And then when we'd leave the rink, the whole team would go to a restaurant and we'd have, you know, the first dish. The first dish would be like a salad. And then we'd have a, a plate of pasta. And then they'd come out with either like a meat or a fish or a chicken. And then we're hanging around. And the next thing you know, you know, it could be a limoncello gets broken out. You know what I mean? Like, like that's a different culture over there. So, and then, you know, you, you go home, you take a nap, and then you go play a game that night. And then you go out and do the same thing at a restaurant. So it's different than where you're playing in the minors. Like if you're in the East Coast League, you know, you're on your own. So you, you'll come home, you'll make, you'll prepare your own foods, unless you're on the road. If you're on the road, they give you the per diem and they'll stop somewhere. And, you know, it's up to you to eat healthy. You know, you'll go to like an Olive Garden or wherever, you know. So you're talking about uh, uh, food in Europe. And Chris and I had this exact conversation the other day, how an, a, a meal is an event. And so, you know, you go there and you, you're sitting down and, and everything. It's, it's more than in the U.S. It's in and out. But in Europe, they take their time and you enjoy the company. So it's funny yeah. you brought that up. Yeah, so it's, it's, a whole, it's a whole no way of life. It took me a little bit to get used to, but over here, we're like, we're running gun. Everything's fast. We got to eat. We got to get out of here. We got to go home. We got to take a nap. Over there, there's no rush. It's like, okay, we're going to sit down. We're going to eat. We're going to relax. We're going to have some espresso afterwards. And then, you know, when we get home, we get home. Okay, but we only got like a couple hours to take a nap before the game tonight. Oh, well, it is what it is. Like, that's, that's the mentality, you know? No, it makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, now, how was that like? What was that like to uh, like? What what age did you leave home and, and head over to Europe? Um. Well, the first time I left home, I was eighteen, but I didn't go to Europe then. I went to Europe when I was twenty. I was yeah about twenty. Ninety six, ninety seven. I was born in seventy four. So what's that? Twenty three, twenty four years old. You know. Did, uh, did they uh, pay over in Europe? I've heard stories where... Well, it depends what level you're at. So when I went over, I was in the second division, um, which right now, that's a really good division. They pay really well. But when I was there, I mean, the average guys, they were making anywhere from like 15 to 30 grand. You know, they give you a car, they give you an apartment. Um, you know, you get a two-way plane ticket. It's an open-ended ticket they send you. So you're pretty much all set when you get there. You've got your ticket. You get paid every month. You know, it's tax-free. And they, they just hand you an envelope full of cash. Um, so, I mean, it depends. Like, you know, when you first get over there, you're not going to make a lot because they don't know you. You know, they're going off of your resume and, you know, you've got to prove yourself. But if you do well, so like that was only my only year in Germany. I had a decent season, but then I ended up over in, in Italy. And my, my first season in Italy didn't pay so well, but then I was one of the top players. So every year I made more and more money. So, you know, you put in your dues, you make more and more money. But it's a different lifestyle, too, because if you're playing in the East Coast League and you're making $500 a week, you know, some guy can show up tomorrow and you can have a bad game. And that guy jumps in the lineup and now you're the, you're the low man on the totem pole. So you could be packing your suitcase and looking for another team, you know, where that doesn't happen as much in Europe because you can't just, you know, tell somebody to leave. You know, you invested all this money in them. You know what I mean? You bought him a plane ticket, you gave him a car, you got an apartment, you're paying him every month. You could technically make him leave, but who are you going to find to replace in the middle of a season to go over to Europe? It's not that easy, you know? That's interesting. It's interesting to think of it that way. So I never really did, but that, that, that well, makes sense. Listen, that, that's one of the reasons why I went over to Europe is because, like, I went to Salem State back in 94. We won the whole thing, and I was a freshman. I had a pretty good year, and, and uh, that summer I was approached by a lot of minor league teams. And I really, I didn't, I wasn't interested in staying in school. You know, I just wanted to play hockey. I was a cocky kid that just wanted to play hockey. And, um, you know, once I gave up my college eligibility and I jumped around, I started realizing that there was more than the hockey. It was a business. And, like, you're nobody. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are. You know, you got guys that are drafted. You got guys that get sent down. And, you know, you're just, you're just another name. You know, you'd have to bring it every game, you know, score a couple goals every game to be considered someone where you're untouchable, you know? So that's why you see those rosters when you look back and you look at the rosters in the East coast and central league, the Western professional league, you got like 50, 60 guys on a roster because that's how many guys went through that lineup that year. You know? No, it makes, yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's what everyone kind of forgets about too, is the business side of it. It is, it is definitely a business. Um, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it is definitely a business. Yeah. And then you got kids that graduate from college 
but they finished their college season and you're still playing, you know, your minor league season's still going on and they had a good season. So all of a sudden their agent calls up and they say, Oh, send this kid over there and we're going to take a look. And the next thing you know, the coach calls you in and says, you're not dressing tonight. I got a couple kids that are going in the lineup. And now you're sitting in the stands watching these kids and you're kind of hoping that they have a bad game because if they have a good game, you might be gone, you know? So like, that's, it's, so it was, it's very frustrating. So like going over to Europe and, and having a good career out there was a lot more stable, a lot more less stressful, you know? Yep, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It makes, make, makes perfect sense. And that's, that's one of the things that they, people kind of forget about because um, it, is, it is a lot of – I mean, and, and Ralph, you could probably answer this even better, is, is where did you see – like now coming up as, as a youth player, um, when did you start to really see differences in the players that were there? Um, would you say like U14, you started to see that there was, there was differences in the levels of players or that there was an equalization and everyone started to get uh, pretty equalized? What, what were your thoughts? Um, you, you're talking about in my past experience when I was a kid growing up? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, they didn't, really call, they didn't really call it U14 back then. It was more like squirts, peewees, man, bantams, midgets. But I guess, yeah, you could put the age difference there. So it, I would say – the year before high school, the year at high school, uh, you know, like right around that area there when, when, the, when a kid's just starting to become a man, you know, like starting to, you know, his body's developed. You know, I didn't develop till I was later on. Like I, I started developing like my junior year in high school. So I was small, you know, I developed muscular-wise. Like I started, I didn't work out until I was 18 years old. So like my whole high school career, I never touched the weight. You know, I just, I just played hockey. You know, I'd go home and play street hockey or I'd go to the rink and just skate. But with today, we got kids 10 years old. They're doing dry land training. It's a different world now. You know, it's yeah. totally different. If we, did, if we did that way back when, forget it. You know, like I remember doing plyometrics when I was 21. I learned it at Salem State because Paul Vincent was our assistant coach. So like two, two days a week, our head coach wouldn't even come on the ice. Paul Vincent would come on the ice with the parachutes. He'd have ropes. We were climbing ropes to the ceiling. Like, I'm like, what is all this? You know, it's, it was, that's when I first started learning all that. We didn't know when you were a kid, you just, you just play hockey. But like to answer your question about where did you see the difference in the players? Like, there was always those kids when you were little that would dominate and you'd see them and they were always flashy and they'd skate by everybody. But I think once the game started getting physical and, it's, and they, and they, and uh, they started checking, those kids kind of weeded, weeded off. But the ones that didn't, those are the ones that ended up making a decent career, whether you know, they played a good high school career or went to college or played after college. So I think it's, that's going to be a big threshold, not this year coming up for the 08s, but the year after, first year Bantams when they start checking. That's when you're going to see it. So this is going to be a big year for me to prepare these kids to get ready for that by – teaching them to be physical without taking penalties, to bump, to use their body, to protect the puck. Those are things we got to teach these kids now. So when it comes to bantams, they know how to absorb a hit and take a hit. You know what I'm, you know, you, know, you follow me? So Ralph, do you remember, so, um, so Ralph, do you remember the first time that you really got hit, you know, at that 14 or, you know, at the a legitimate hit, not an accidental hit? When I was a kid, yeah, I mean, I've, I've gotten hit. I, I, yeah, I've gotten rocked, but I don't remember that. I mean, my biggest, the biggest time I ever got hit, like I was always pretty aware out there. Like I always had my head, like I, I could skate pretty good with my head up with the puck. Um, I got hit once in Italy pretty bad. I was in, we were in Slovenia, and I caught a buddy pass coming through the middle of the ice where I had to look back, and the, and the Fadi read it, and he took my legs out, and I flipped over him. Yeah, so that was probably the worst. But as a kid, I don't really remember getting rocked that bad, you know. I was I, pretty quick. I was pretty quick when I was. I'm not trying to talk like I was something special, but I was. I was pretty quick and evasive, you know. You know, I knew how to get in and out of there without really getting hurt, you know. Well, I was gonna say you still have good hands at, at this age. <laughs> yeah. I see them. <laughs> Nothing like they used to be. That was my strong point. I, my hands was my strong point. I, I used to like to pass and set people up. Okay. I, I remember my, uh, my first hockey concussion. Um, <laughs> going straight through the middle and went head on head with someone else. Neither of us had the puck. Oh, my God. But again, I didn't start playing hockey until I was, uh, what, 
40, 35. Those I, are the worst. Those are the worst because you, you're not expecting it coming. You know, and that's, that's the worst. It, exactly. I just remember being on the ice, looking around, seeing stars. Like, yeah. <laughs> so now let, let me ask you this. When now that you've got uh, two teams, like what, what goes into picking a player? Like what's one of the things that the characteristics that you kind of like from a player's? Um, well, first off, you want a, you want a kid that wants to, that wants to work hard and, and be there and learn. You want a kid that, that gives you, when you're talking to a kid and he's looking at you and you know, he wants to be there. That's what you want. Number one. Um, number two, I could care less of how many goals kids score or, or what, you know, how fancy they are. I want hard workers. I want to see how much they give. You know, I, everything I did in my life was cause hard work, you know, and, um, and there's a lot of guys out there that worked hard. I mean, and there's, there's, there's guys out there that don't work hard and, you know, maybe they're, they're not going to make it because once they get to that level where everybody else catches up to their skill, you know, they, they're going to fall off. But if you teach these kids hard work now, that's going to, that's going to carry on into life. Not even just hockey. It's going to carry on into life. They're going to be successful in whatever they do in their life and business, whatever, because they already got that mentality of hard work. And I've instilled that in my kids, you know, my oldest He's, you know, he's not the most fanciest player, but he works hard every shift, you know, so I know someday he will be successful in life because he's a, if I say we're going to like, we go do the workouts at Tom's, you know, he gives it a hundred percent. You see him, he works hard, you know, same thing with Blake, Blake works hard, Blake, he beats himself up because he wants to, he wants to win in every drill he does because he's working hard. You see how hard he works. That's what you want. You want that hard work in a player. That's all you can ask. You can teach the rest. The game's yep. not that hard to learn. You could teach the rest. That's, that's what I would agree with you in regards to that. And one of the things I always look at, and, and I would say this in wrestling, is, well, there's the adage that, that uh, talent will beat hard work until hard work – until wait, hard work will beat talent when talent doesn't work hard. That's and, right. And that's 100% right. And, and the one thing is, is, like, I hope Blake loves hockey the rest of his life, but the one thing I will say is, is hockey's given him a work, work ethic. And, and, yeah, you see that with Dom as well, all those kids that are working hard. That are putting in that extra effort. It's nice to see because well, you look, know that Brooks. Look at her Brooks. They made a movie about it. I mean, they won the they won the gold medal. I mean, he didn't have any. He didn't have a team like that Russian team. That Russian team was all fancy players. And look look what they look what they did. He were they worked hard and they won. Yep, just very I, similar to the Valiant movie, like you had mentioned. Yeah, with the Vegas Golden Knights. You're right. Oh, I was just gonna say the interesting thing about the 1980 team is that very few of them actually stayed in hockey afterwards but they were all successful in business yes if you watch the movie at the end they show where everybody went in life i mean how many guys are like ceos of big firms or whatever you know i mean it just showed whatever they did in their career they were successful you know hockey hockey is more than just hockey it really is i mean it's i love hockey and not because of the sport i love the sport but Everything it's taught me in my life, you know what I mean. Like I can't, ba- I can barely walk. You see me, Chris. I need both my hips replaced. Yeah, no, it's 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 amazing to see, and and hockey teaches those those life lessons. So, did you grow up with any coaches that you you know you learned some great lessons from for your career as a coach, and also some coaches that were not so great that you learned what not to do as a coach? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, what, I'm not mentioning any names because um, I don't want to say anything bad about any coaches, but there's been, there's been coaches that impacted my life. And there was also coaches in a negative way that impacted my life where they told me just to stop playing. And that kind of fueled me. And I don't know why they would tell me that. Like, you know, one of the coaches, one in particular told me to stop playing after high school. And um, I didn't listen. And I went out to prep school and I ended up, you know, leaving my prep school team and scoring. I was a post-grad and um, I had a really good year, you know, and he was my high school coach, which I'm not saying any names, but he told me to stop playing. And I don't know why he ever told me that, but, and, and my, can you still hear me? Yep. We can. Yep. Mind you, this, this coach came on my senior year. So the coach I had for the first three years wasn't this guy. The coach I had for the first three years was phenomenal, phenomenal coach. Awesome guy. Um, this guy came on when the other guy got fired for some reason, I don't know, but they came and watched me and I ended up going to the gunnery and I had a really good year there. And, um, now back then 
you did all your own stuff. You didn't have, like my mom and dad, they don't even speak English. So like they didn't mingle with people in the rinks. They weren't politically connected in hockey. Like they just sat there and watched me play. They didn't know anybody. So everything I did, I had to do it. So I grabbed the hockey news and I'm like, what are these teams? Like, where are these leagues? So like I picked up the hockey news when I was in prep school and I'm like, what's the USHL? And I pulled up the team Des Moines and I said, ah, oh, this, this team's like first place. I like, yeah, let me, let me see if I can try out for this team. You know, this is out West. So I called the coach up. He says, yeah, you can come out here. We got a camp in the summer. There's 150 kids coming. I went out, I made the team. I was the only kid from around. And it was like all Minnesota, Michigan kids. I didn't play a lot because the whole team was division one and draft picks, but I made the team, you know, but it's just, you know, it goes to show you if you work hard, there's not, there's nothing you can't do, you know? So you could go and you can make it in anywhere. You know what I mean? Yep. Completely. Especially, well, the, the fact that you, that just shows your passion for the game because you were willing to, to check out the things on your own and research yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I get in the car and I tell my, I remember when I went to try out for Reno, I went to try out for Reno in the West Coast Hockey League. The coach was Ron Flockhart. He played for the Philadelphia Flyers with, uh, with Bobby Clock. He had 70 points one year. They called him the Bruins killer, Flocky. So I packed up the car. I didn't even have a car. My sister gave me her Grand Prix. She's, I said, I need a car. She said, take this. My parents are like, where are you going? I said, I'm driving to Reno. They said, where's Reno? They don't know where that is. I said, it's, a, it's across the country. It's 3,000 miles away. They said, what are you, crazy? I said, yeah, I'm going to go try out for this hockey team. So I drove across the country. It took me four days. I was by myself. I went out there. I made that team. Yeah, so not, not knowing anybody, the team had guys that played in the NHL on it. They just filtered down into the minors, like good players, you know. But here's a kid from Johnston that played in a, the lowest level high school hockey that people told me just to stop playing hockey, but I loved the game so much. And I was so passionate that no matter where I went, I made a team. If I was going to go somewhere, I made that team. That's awesome to hear. That's, that's similar to, um, I don't, I don't know if you, I, I can't think of his name right now, but he actually, uh, one of our friends, um, he didn't start skating until he was, he was 12 years old. And then last, uh, was it last year? He won top defenseman in the state of Rhode Island. So Who am I talking like, to? I'm talking to nobody over here. Oh, can you hear me? Now, now I can. Did you okay. hear anything I said? Yes, yes, we heard everything you said. Good. So, but I was going to say, the, the, uh, one of our friends, actually for Rhode Island, was the defensive, um, oh, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but he's actually playing for, uh, oh, geez, I can't even think of his name. Anyways, he was the top defenseman in Rhode Island last year, but he didn't even start skating until he was 12. But he just had that passion, just like you. Just, he's just, everything he touches, he, he's successful with because he just, he loved it so much, he just kept pushing himself forward. So it's, it's, it's awesome to hear those stories. Yeah, it, that's, that's, what, that's what fuels you in life. Chris, I was in the hospital. You know, I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks with my lung. It, what, yeah. You know what got me out of the hospital? It was hockey. I just yep. kept saying to myself, who's going to coach these kids? Yep. You know, well, and, and the, the doctors were like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you worried about hockey for? They're like, your lung collapsed. We got to get you better. I said, yeah, we got to hurry up over here because I got to get these kids on the ice practice. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, you can't force the lung to heal that fast. I said, well, you guys better hurry up and do something here because I got to get on the ice and teach these kids hockey. Like, that was in my mind, and that's why I got out of there. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. Hockey's a different breed, especially you guys. You're, you're tough as nails. So I will say that I, I would equate that from a wrestling perspective and just say uh, there's two tough people in this world, and there's hockey players and wrestlers, and they'll go through anything. So, Vision Quest. Vision Quest. Good movie. Definitely, definitely. That was that was one I grew up with. So me too. Yep. Oh yeah, that's one of my one of my favorites. That's that's when uh, back when I was my sophomore year of high school that came out, and I remember I remember that movie coming out, and I think uh, at that point I was up in the morning running at four thirty in the morning, and then I would wrestle after school. I'd go to Taekwondo practice afterwards for flex for flexibility, and then I would run all night just to make sure I was in shape. So nice, nice. Yeah, yep. Vision Vision Quest was a good motivator. Did we lose you, Dave? No, he didn't. No, you guys are having a good conversation. So I was just, uh, I was just uh, taking a look at a few things that I wanted to check out. But, um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you um, is I noticed you were on the New Orleans, New Orleans Brass. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That was, that was, that was um, one of the years I was in Italy. I had come, I came, I think it was before I went to Italy. I went down there. 
the beginning of the season and played a few games, but I had my contract in Europe. So I went, kind of went down there. They needed somebody for the first few weeks. Um, my agent knew the coach. The coach was Ted Seder. Ted Seder used to coach the Buffalo Sabres. Yep. He was the coach of that team that year. And um, they needed a player for a few weeks. So I looked at it as a way to get in shape to go over to Italy. So I went down there and I played a few games for them. What's your question? Oh, no. So I'm down in New Orleans all the time. Uh, so unfortunately, they don't have a team anymore, but they, um, they used to play in the old auditorium that was uh, in one. They played in the convention center next to the Superdome. Then they moved, I think, the year that you were there into the convention center. They used to be uh, in uh, Treme, uh, down in the uh, Louis Armstrong Park. There's an old auditorium that uh, they then fixed up and then they removed the ice uh, um, surface. Um, I'll tell you, that was a, that was a, that was a, fun, a fun rink. They had a beautiful facility in that convention set, a nice locker room. Um, it was right next door to where the Saints played. Um, I mean, the, the town was great. The town was great. That, that, that was right before Katrina, too. I think it was like a year before Katrina. I'm not sure, but I remember seeing Katrina on the news right after that. And I'm like, all the people that were, that were held up in the convention center, it was a war zone. That's where we played. And I was like, oh, my God, that's where we were playing. And it was on TV, and they showed all that. Yeah, my friend is a detective down there, so definitely see a lot of it. But it was a fun. It was a fun city. It was very muggy, very very hot and muggy. And uh, I'm not a big mosquito guy, but they got some big mosquitoes down there. They're like <laughs> they're like the size of birds. The mosquitoes they got, they'll carry you away. Isn't it the state bird? <laughs> the state bird's a mosquito? No, I'm just kidding. Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh my God! But that's a team. Like I was saying about the Rasta. If you look at that Rasta. There was probably a hundred guys on that roster because they weren't they weren't a top of the top of the league team. So what they would do is they would bring in two or three guys a week and just bring them through and filter them right through. Yeah. Now, why, why do you think that would you now was that just the way that they were designed, or do you think that was coaching? Or well, I mean, listen, I mean, I don't know what what it, what it was, but when a team when when it starts going bad, it goes bad. So they look for anything you know they bring in anything to try to fix it. You know, gotcha. they'll just bring in guys left and right. Well, you see that in business as well. As you see when, when businesses start to fail, everyone, when, when you build an environment where everyone starts pointing fingers, all of a sudden it, it becomes, instead of a, a team atmosphere, it just starts tearing everything apart. And then you keep bringing in pieces that just kind of keep failing. So that makes sense. I mean, sometimes it's leadership. Sometimes it's just the, the scenario of the situation. So I told you I drove out to Reno to try out for that team. So I made that team. The coach was Ron Flockhart. So the first six games of the season, I had a point per game. The, the, a, a day later, he calls me into his office, and he says he's got to let me go. At this point, I was the second leading scorer on the team. And I said, I don't understand. I said, I'm one of the top scorers on the team, point-wise. And he says, I got 10 guys coming down from the IHL. He goes, I got to let you, I got to make room. I said, okay. So he, he released me. Now, nobody in the locker room, I got along with everybody in the locker room. The guys, they were all like, they couldn't understand it. You know, like, I, we don't understand why you're going. I said, okay. So now I was still in town. I was still there. I didn't have a, I didn't find a team. You know, I was on the phone with my agent, but I was there for a few days. That weekend, they were playing Anchorage, Alaska, the Aces, and they were flying out to Anchorage for two games. One of the kids got hurt in practice. So Flocky called me up in my condo, and he told me, he says, uh, he goes, you could tell me to go F myself. He goes, but I need a player this weekend to come to, to Anchorage. He goes, I could sign you to another contract. So I said, I just drove across the whole country four days to play for you. Why didn't you think I want to play? Of course I'll play. So I went. He signed me. I went to Anchorage. We lost both games, but I had a point in both games. We came back from that weekend. That Monday, calls me in his office, says, I got to let you go again. So I started laughing. Cause then this is where I realized like, this is just a business. Like it doesn't matter what you do. It, it's just business. So, but I told him, I said, if you ever get a job anywhere, keep me in mind. I said, you know, I got my Italian passport. I played over in Europe. So he, and he didn't want, he, you could see in his face, he didn't want to let me go. He was a really good player. He was like a Reggie Dunlop. This is a guy where you show up in a locker room and he's sleeping on the massage table. Cause he went out partying the night before like this. He's a great guy. Great guy. So he, uh, so I left it there. I left that, that, you know, I left there and I ended up playing in Waco, Texas. I finished the season in Waco in the Western Pro League. That summer, 
I got a phone call back at home in Rhode Island. My mom came in the room. She speaks Italian. She came in speaking broken English. She said, some guys on the phone. It was Flocky. And he says, Ralph, he goes, you want to come to Italy? He says, I got a coaching job in Italy. That's how I made it to Italy. Wow. Interesting. If I didn't drive four days across the country and get released twice in one week by the same guy, I would have never made it to Italy and played five years there. And that year in Italy, after that first season, he got fired as the coach. And I, I stayed there for five more years. So you see how things work out? Definitely. Definitely. It's crazy? A, yeah, it's a unique scenario. It's, so. It, it, yeah. So if I didn't drive across the country and meet Flocky, a great guy, by the way, and meet him and whatever, I wasn't even mad that he released me because I knew it wasn't his call. It was a general manager's call. He's the one that got me over to Italy and I got my career over in Italy for five years. It's, a cra- it's crazy if you look back at it, you know? What do you think of uh, the equipment today? So sticks have changed. We, we ask everyone this. Uh, you know, I'm sure back in the day, they were just probably starting to come out with uh, composite sticks. Um, people probably using wooden, you know, um, as well. And then uh, now they're, you know, $200 sticks um, and you have mites using them. Do you, do your kids? Ridiculous. I think it's a, you said you have a big big money making gimmick. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. You can have a composite stick, $30, $40. Okay. But a hundred dollars, I just went and bought my seven year old a stick. Second time around sports, it was a hundred dollars stick. I got the guy that it was a used one. He gave it to me for $42. I don't mind because it's a hundred dollars stick. And you know what? It's in good shape. There's a little couple little nicks here and there. You know, nobody beat it up that bad. But I'll never pay two, three hundred dollars for a stick. You know, uh, it, it's just ridiculous. And when I was a kid, we used wood up until I was, I'd say, 21, 21 years old. I mean, maybe my first year in college, they started coming out with. Um, they had those shafts where you, they had the eastern shafts. I don't know if you remember but they were orange and then you'd, you'd buy the blades, the wooden blades and you'd heat them up with the, with the heat gun and you'd put the blade in the, in the, in the shaft. So when the blade would break, you would just take the wood out and you put another one in. So it started with that. And then they came out with the synergy. So do you, do you think that uh, they should change up the equipment? Um, maybe uh, bring back the uh, oldie sticks? No, no. Cause you can't, you, the sticks, they, the sticks have come a long way. I just think the prices are ridiculous. I mean, it just, they're taking advantage price-wise. You can't go back to a wooden stick. I mean, it's, if you feel a wooden stick compared to these sticks today, these kids, I mean, we did it. It made us stronger. You know, they were heavy. They were waterlogged and heavy. Today, these sticks, uh, they're, made so, they're, they're just awesome, the sticks today. I just don't agree with the pricing. I think it's ridiculous. So, so let me ask you this. So, so should I get Blake a, a big piece of lumber? So when he's in the middle of the net or in front of the net, he's got like, like, a, like a big piece of lumber to use? Go in the backyard and chop down, chop a branch and <laughs> sand it down, you know? <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I wouldn't go crazy on the, on the stick. They grow out of them too. I no, mean, I you could buy that little nub and put the nub on the top of it and make it a little bigger, but I just think it's a waste of money. Well, it's just like the custom sticks. I have a lot of people who have custom sticks in regards to it. Now, we always pick the stick because Blake likes the coloring or something like that. But um, people have custom sticks, like with the full-size blade. And Honestly, I want him to have the smallest stick as possible, so he has to learn how to, to control the puck as much as he can. But it's usually more of a, a gift or, or a gimmick in regards to that. Like I always just tell him it's a magic stick every time I buy it. <laughs> well, you remember Adam Oates? He only had half a blade. Remember what he was using? Yeah, small one. Five yeah, that's, he used to cut the tip of his blade off, like maybe two or three inches off the tip of his blade. So it looked like kind of like a field hockey stick and he would, and he could stick handle better than anybody in the league. So um, I, you know, I always ask our hockey folks this. Uh, so who taught you to skate? Was it a figure skater? Was it a, a hockey guy? No, I was, I came home from school one day. Uh, I was five years old and I had a, a thing in my bag saying about learn to skate and my parents, my mom and my brother took me down to Providence college and uh, they just put the skates on and I skated right across the ice. And I, you know, I, I didn't need anything. I didn't need a, ch- a chair or anything like that. The guys said this, I mean, I used to roller skate in the backyard with the old fashioned roller skates. Um, but I never, never been on skates. I just went out there and skated. Nobody taught me. Did you ever have lessons, uh, skating lessons? No, I never took less. I think uh, as I started getting older and more involved in hockey, then I started working with, you know, some power skating people. 
Um, but not until I was already past high school. I never did that. Like, like today, like we'll put, we'll send the kid to like a Laura stand. They never, I never had that. So do you think I didn't even know that existed? And my parents wouldn't know that existed because they were immigrants. They came over here. They didn't know anything. Do you think it would be possible today for a kid to follow in those same footsteps? Not no, no, because it, 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 it's this world's moving too fast. They get left behind. They can learn, but they'll never be able to compete at the same level as all these other kids are doing. This this hockey world's going so fast right now. These kids, they have to keep up with the times. If they're not, then they're just going to fall behind. When it comes to high school, they're not going to make a high school team because all these other kids have been doing all this other stuff. Yeah, it's become a real skilled sport. Now, yeah. one question I have for you, just about everyone, Ralph, is is what's the thing – like. I usually ask this question, but what's the, the single most thing like that, that you fell in love with hockey? Like what, what, like I, I asked Blake this and this will kind of give you some insight into him is he always says the smell of the ice. Like he doesn't care. He just loves the smell, smell of the ice. What's the, what's the major thing you love about skating and hockey? I think it's a, it's a, there's a bunch of things, not just one. Like, yeah, Blake's Blake hit a good, a good one there on the head, the smell of the arena. You know, not so much the smell of the locker rooms. The locker rooms is the smell, <laughs> the, the smell of the arena, like that cold air, um, the speed, like when you're flying and you feel that air on your face. I haven't felt that in 30 years. Um, but, you know, like when you're flying around, you can feel that air. Um, somebody whacking you in the back, you know, in the back of the leg and talking shit on the ice, you know, like just chirping at somebody, scoring a big goal, setting someone up busting balls on the bench with the guys like that's just 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 all one big piece of the pie you know what I mean it's unbelievable it really is those guys those guys on tv those guys are having the the time of their lives they're they're, whether they're winning or losing they're out there they're in the locker room they're playing jokes on each other it's just one big fun fun game you know definitely definitely Dave and I both know that we although we didn't find it until much later in life but um I would tell you that I think we got to a, a point where we were playing men's league and, and addicted to it and almost getting divorced because we were playing so much. So, yeah, but, but you love being in, around the guys, right? Oh, completely. And just even the ice, just, just everything about the sport. There's like, not I, one thing. There's not yeah. one thing. You can't just pick one thing. It's, it's like a combination of everything. You know what I mean? Yep. Completely. Taping your stick, sitting there, taping your stick before you go on the ice, stuff like that, you know, doing it the same way every time putting on your left skate before you're right. You know what I mean? Like you, you put on your equipment the same way every time, like um, ri- rituals, like certain rituals. And you, we, I did these rituals when I was a kid, like in high school, you know, and, and, and you realize that like hockey players is the, one of the most superstitious people in the world. Definitely. They, they really are. They really are. It's unbelievable. For me, the biggest thing was trying to, uh, uh, to catch my breath while putting my skates on. We got a big belly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's a good one, Dave. I, I would agree with you, especially as a goalie. <laughs> Why you were a goalie, Dave? Oh no, no. Chris was the Chris was the uh, Chris was the goalie. Um, but but I swear the, uh, <laughs> the five to ten minutes it it took me to put on my equipment was more of a workout than actually skating. <laughs> well, you're talking later on in life when you're playing men's league. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously, because like we're at that age. You bend it over, yeah. You get, you know, you get tired. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're saying, though. It's, it's because my belly gets in the way, and it's, it's hard to tie my own shoes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so, but, but then, the Bud Light in the locker room afterwards definitely was one of the best experiences. Yeah, I mean, and then when the when the guy turns the light off in the rink, and you got to go outside, then it then it ends up in the parking lot, and now you're all on the back of somebody's trunk or on the back of somebody's flatbed and you're still drinking beers and it's like one o'clock in the morning and you know that you got to go to work the next day, but you just played men's league, yep. you know, that's bringing that was the, the best. Bringing the barbecue out, you know, grilling steaks and dogs um, for no reason other than why not? Yeah. It's just a Thursday night game. You had a 10 o'clock game at a rink where nobody's going to watch you. You might have one girlfriend sitting in the stands. It was always that one guy that brought his girlfriend you know, maybe it was maybe you guys probably might have been one of those guys. I don't know. No. But, you know, there was always that one guy in the team that brought his girlfriend. And then afterwards, he would leave. And then the rest of the team would always hang out, you know. 
Yep. Yep. No, our wives didn't want to come see us. <laughs> and, they, and why should they? Why should they? We were men's league players at that point, you know? Exactly. I, I want to come home and tell her I did something great. I don't want her to actually see it because she'll be like, what? <laughs> yeah, you come home and you write your stats on the fridge. So when she wakes up the next day, she sees them and stuff, you know? Yeah. I got, well, a, I got a buddy down in Florida that does that still with roller hockey. I joke around with him all the time. He plays roller hockey. He's like 40-something years old. And I said, you still putting your stats on the fridge? He's like, yeah. I said, well, like, what do you think? He's like, well, I want my wife to get all excited. I'm like, you know. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so, Ralph, uh, thanks for coming on the cast. It was uh, great talking to you. Uh, lots of great stories. So, uh, kudos. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Good. We'll definitely have to co- probably continue this on, as this, especially as the season progresses, and, and uh, maybe even have you back for a second one to hear a little bit more about some of your, your European stories. Lots of great stories. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully when uh, we'll have a good uh, 08 season, it'll be going by then, and we could talk some stuff about the kids, you know? Sounds like a plan. So, Dave, this week's uh, Hockey Chirp of the Week is a doozy. You'll, you're going to love it. All right, so uh, who is the Chirp of the Week brought to us this, this week by? Uh, the Hockey Chirp of the Week is brought to us by Norfolk Ice Arena. Excellent. Where you can get all your Fine skating, over skating needs. Yes, the fine folks folks at at Norfolk. All right, go ahead. So uh, while you're skating by someone, what do you think is more likely, world peace or actually you getting a goal this game? (laughs) Yeah. That would be great. That would be be great if you say it to a goalie. Unless if you say it to a goalie, it's not going to work that well. Well, yeah, you can't say that to a goalie. I've got some goalie chirps that we'll start to add in next week. Um, which are pretty, pretty awesome. So, um, but, uh, right, but well, yeah, that's a, it's a good chirp. Well, thank you again to the folks at, uh, Norfolk arena for sponsoring, uh, the chirp of the week. If anybody wants to sponsor a uh, future chirp of the week, you can always email us at info at public And, uh, even teams can sponsor chirps of the week. Uh, we have, uh, some special, special sponsorships for teams, you know, get your name out there. Um, happy to, to help you guys out. Definitely, definitely. It's always a good way to, to interact with the community in a, in a comical way as well. So, uh, but no, great interview with Ralph. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to a follow-up later on as to see how the season goes. And uh, that's yeah, all really, I got, Dave. Yeah, really interesting stories. Um, you know, it's, it's great that he likes to give back to the community, to the kids. Um, really happy about that. So, uh, wonderful interview. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. all I have. Uh, so um, till next time, you know, thank you. This is uh, Dave. And this is Chris. See you on the ice.